You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes. You really, really will. Maybe. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with From you. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, As heard it's on so KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Out on Green Renaissance Radio, WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus, Ohio. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow and democracy lover, says me. Otherwise known as uh, Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another action-packed, thrilling adventure as folks head to the polls today once again. Yes, the primary election continues, no matter what they tell you in the corporate mainstream media. Yes, voters still get to vote. Voters still get to participate in who will be the, uh, the at least the Democratic Party nominee for president of these United States. Uh, Democrats are... Heading to the polls in Kentucky today. Uh, that's Democrats only. The Republicans already did their damage there, I think, some weeks ago. Um, and so it's uh, just Democrats in Kentucky and uh, Democrats and Republicans, for whatever that's worth, in Oregon. Of course, in Oregon, they have uh, pretty much all vote-by-mail elections. So people aren't really heading to the polls. They may be heading to a drop box where they can drop off their their vote-by-mail ballot um, on Tuesday. We will have, of course, results from uh, both of those states on our next thrilling broadcast. And any details, any problems, any concerns that come up, particularly in Kentucky, where they still use touchscreen voting systems across uh, a number of counties in the states. Um, I'm happy to say they've been moving away from that to paper ballots in Kentucky, though those paper ballots in Kentucky, just like the ones in Oregon, are counted by optical scan computers, either correctly or incorrectly. Who knows? Unless someone actually bothers to count those ballots. We'll see if anybody does bother to count them. They usually don't. Um, Counting is hard. I know it is, apparently. Uh, but that will be uh, in our next thrilling episode, as I say. Of course, that voice uh, pouting <laughs> there in the distance is Desi Doyen, it's our math. producer. I know. 
I know, our producer Desi Doyen. And uh, Des, we've been keeping our eyes on this, um, this Royal Dutch Shell. Well, Shell, Shell Oil. You're familiar with them. Yes. And the spill uh, last, was it late last It was late Friday, last Thursday. Thursday, I think it was late Right Thursday. after we got off the air, 90,000 gallons of oil spilled into the Gulf of Mexico, about 90 miles off the Louisiana coast. Well, the, uh, the U.S. Coast Guard now and Shell have been uh, working to clean up the oil, such as it can be cleaned up. 90,000 gallons they have so far recovered what they describe as 76,600 gallons of oily water mixture, according to Shell Oil. The Federal Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement, B-S-E-E, is Uh that how uh, they say? Uh, They are leading an investigation to determine the cause of the spill. They still have no idea what actually caused the spill. They're not currently drilling out there, but there's apparently a series of pipelines on the on the ocean floor, I guess, that right. seem to have ruptured in some fashion and once again despoiled the beautiful Gulf of Mexico for the folks who live down there uh, and the and the indigenous communities down there who yes. are uh, who rely on the Gulf for their livelihood. The Coast Guard says uh, currently two 210 foot and two 95-foot vessels are conducting skimming operations. Shell and the Coast Guard have mobilized 130 personnel for the cleanup effort. But, you know, it's 90 miles off the shore. Who can see it? They, you know, they're not showing it to you on uh, on the cable news networks. I haven't seen it at all, at nope. least. Um, so, yeah, we presumably it's being cleaned up, right? What's the problem if we don't see it? What do they say? Out of sight, out, out of mind. mind. Right. Not a problem. This spill occurred uh, right amidst these worldwide protests that are going on. Speaking of things you won't see, apparently on the corporate media news, uh, these worldwide protests that are going on against fossil fuels for uh, in no small part for what happened here in the Gulf and this sort of mess that we are continually cleaning up. Uh, but also, of course, for uh, for greenhouse gas emissions and so forth. And so these uh, protests are going on around the world. Organizers are dubbing this uh, latest round as Break Free from Fossil Fuels. Break Free 2016. Uh, in, in Albany, for example, uh, Albany, New York, 1,500 people protested against trains carrying crude oil into the port of Albany. Uh, And in the previous two weeks, uh, protests uh, have seen activists shut down coal operations in Germany, in the UK, in Australia, Uh, Nigeria, Brazil and the Philippines also saw anti-fossil fuel protests. Bangladesh saw a huge protest that tried to shut down a proposed coal power, coal fired power plant in Washington, D.C. On Sunday, uh, protesters, uh, thousands of protesters, I'm told, turned out, called on uh, Barack Obama to halt offshore drilling that led to exactly what we saw out out here right now in the Gulf that they're trying to clean up uh, offshore drilling in the Arctic, in the Atlantic Ocean and in the Gulf of Mexico. In Washington state, 52 protesters were arrested on Sunday uh, while occupying railroad tracks leading to a pair of oil refineries. According to AP, dozens of climate activists blocked the railroad tracks. Uh, leading to these oil refineries in northwest Washington state to oppose the flow of oil from trains to those facilities. About 150 people spent the night in tents 
over the weekend, uh, pitched on the railroad tracks near Anacortes. Is that mm-hmm. how we Anacortes. say it? Anacortes. Anacortes, uh, about 70 miles north of uh, Seattle. In upstate New York, as I mentioned, climate activists gathered at a crude oil shipment hub on the Hudson River to denounce fossil fuels and promote renewable energy sources. About 40 activists from numerous groups paddled on the river near the port on Friday with anti-oil signs and banners. A group sat on train tracks in downtown Albany on Saturday to protest the oil uh, trains. Albany is, of course, a key hub for crude by rail shipments from North Dakota's Bakken Shale region. Gosh, a lot going on that doesn't seem to get out there to the American people. Organizers say they want to transition to renewable energy in a way that doesn't leave workers or communities behind. And they're willing to risk arrest uh, to engage in civil disobedience. In Washington state, organizers uh, are targeting those two refineries are among the top sources. Those two refineries are among the top sources of greenhouse gas emissions in the state. Many of the nearly 40 groups involved in organizing the event up in Washington were also involved in large on-water kayak protests against Shell's Arctic oil drilling when it parked at a Seattle port last year, which we covered in uh, in some detail on this program and on the Green News Report. So a lot of protests going on. You almost never hear about them. Uh, raising the question, uh, do these protests actually work? Do they uh, mean anything anymore? Is it just uh, people out there getting arrested? Um, My guest coming up shortly will, I suspect, argue that, in fact, these protests do mean something and they do have positive results to that end. We've got some good news out of Washington state that we'll talk about uh, in a bit with my guest, uh, Mary Ann Hitt from Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign. I'm looking forward to that. All right. In the meantime, before we get there, uh, speaking of uh, things that are uh, crazy <laughs> and not working, the uh, the presidential primary campaign, as I mentioned, continues. And one of the things that I had been saying for months and months, of course, I started off telling you, hey, uh, be careful of Donald Trump. He's going to do very well. That was back at a time when nobody else seemed to be taking him seriously. Very, very few people out here in the media, almost nobody in the corporate media warning you about Donald Trump, warning you that he was going to do well on the Republican side. And in fact, he has. And since he has uh, locked up the nomination on the Republican side, I've sort of moved forward to say, OK, uh, hey, Democrats, now that uh, I've been warning you to be careful what you wish for, now that he is the uh, nominee, you ought to be very careful about being gleeful about Donald Trump as your nominee. And there is reason to be very concerned, particularly if Hillary Clinton does end up receiving the Democratic nomination. Uh, as she's certainly on track for right now, even as uh, Sanders and his supporters are still fighting it out and will be continuing to fight it out, as they say, through uh, through the primary elections that uh, almost end out here in California on June 7. Uh, but then there's uh, one week later, there's also a, uh, a nominating contest in Washington, D.C. But there are still a lot of people left to vote in this country. And. Um, They may want to keep a couple of things in mind. As I pointed out, uh, the Republicans, as much as they've been claiming there's a civil war around the Republicans, uh, the Republicans are going to coalesce around Donald Trump, as I warned. And that has already begun to happen big time. 
Uh, we have more evidence of that today. Now, a majority of Republican and Republican leaners who say they are registered to vote trust Donald Trump over Paul Ryan to lead the GOP, according to uh, results from the most recent uh, election tracking poll from NBC News. Nearly six in ten trust the presumptive Republican nominee to lead the Republican Party over the uh, over the House Speaker Paul Ryan, while nearly four in ten trust the Speaker more. So we're talking sixty to forty percent, essentially, of uh, of Republican voters think that Donald Trump is to be trusted, not Paul Ryan, who has been regarded by many in the corporate media and in the Republican establishment as the guy who's going to save somehow, save the Republican Party. He's the normal Republican. He's the one that are, he's the responsible one now uh, that, uh, gosh, we wish he had just gotten into the race. Well, apparently not. Republicans are becoming very, very satisfied with Donald Trump. This is according to a survey uh, over the past few days of uh, 14,000 adults, including 12,500 registered voters. This is the uh, the weekly tracking that NBC News and SurveyMonkey do uh, on a weekly basis. Early on in the primaries, Trump did less well with very conservative voters, but that has now all changed. 63% of Republicans who identify themselves as very conservative say they trust Trump more than Ryan to lead the Republican Party. These are those who say they are very conservative. Uh, that is uh, 63% to 34% of very conservative uh, voters trust Ryan, uh, I'm sorry, trust Trump more than Ryan. Uh, that's very conservative. Of those who consider themselves just conservative, not very, but just conservative, uh, they also trust Trump over Ryan. Margin is slightly lower uh, instead of a 29-point margin. It's a 17-point margin. So among conservatives, Trump uh, is chosen over Ryan 57 to 40 percent. And even moderates choose uh, Donald Trump over Ryan by the same margin as conservatives. So just more evidence that the Republican Party is, in fact, coalescing around Donald Trump and they will continue to do so. And it is only May, just so you know. Then the other thing I've been trying to warn folks about is Hillary Clinton. Uh, being wildly unpopular amongst the electorate. Now, that may change once uh, she actually does lock up the nomination, if that happens and Bernie Sanders gets out and uh, uh, suggests to his supporters that they support Hillary Clinton instead. But uh, last week, I think it was, we had our first poll showing uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, tied essentially in a number of key swing states, tied in Pennsylvania and Florida, and actually Donald Trump beating Hillary Clinton by a few points in the state of Ohio, the key swing state of Ohio. And in all of those, uh, all three of those uh, swing states, Bernie Sanders was doing much better than uh, than Hillary Clinton was against Donald Trump in similar head-to-head matchups. That was a uh, that was a Quinnipiac poll, a reliable uh, polling organization, a legitimate polling organization. And then the very next day, uh, from who was it? Uh, Ipsos um, Reuters. Ipsos came out with another poll. 
uh, showing that Donald Trump was within one point of Hillary Clinton. Hillary was beating Donald Trump by just one point, essentially a statistical dead heat within the margin of error. And I, I published that uh, uh, when we did our show. I posted that item after the show at bradblog.com, and I posted over at uh, uh, Daily Coast as well, where uh, I've been invited uh, to participate in the Daily Coast radio group. So we hear from a lot of people over there, and they were just in the comment section apoplectic. Livid. They were that I was cherry picking these polls by pointing these polls out, uh, showing this one where uh, Hillary Clinton was leading Donald Trump nationally, nationally by just one point. Another cherry picked poll, they said. Now, of course, the day earlier, I, I had also showed a I talked about a poll where Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by about six points. I think it was in that same poll. Bernie Sanders was beating Donald Trump by about 12 points. So I'm not cherry picking these things. In any event, they went nuts saying that that was just a, an outlier, that poll. Don't pay any attention to it. OK, polls can be outliers. But now we have another one. This one, once again, from NBC News and SurveyMonkey, this uh, this weekly tracking poll. In this week's poll, Americans are now nearly split between their choice of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Her margin over Donald Trump has narrowed from five points last week to just three points this week. That is now 48 to 45, Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton over Trump by three points. She doesn't even have a majority yet, but it's a three-point race now, according to this NBC News poll. So we have that from Reuters. We have it from NBC News. I'm looking forward to how the uh, Daily Coast folks are going to tell me I'm cherry-picking this again. Uh, interestingly, uh, while Hillary Clinton, looking at the demographics, Hillary Clinton is uh, doing very, very well against Donald Trump with African Americans and with Hispanics. Uh, and and with women. Uh, but Trump is the preferred candidate among white voters by 14 percent, 14 points over Hillary Clinton, 53 to 39. Uh, the white people likes Donald Trump. That just uh, seems weird to me, but I guess it shouldn't. Well, that's up that thir that 14 points that is up slightly from last week's 11 point margin among white voters. Um, and, uh, you know, who does uh, well among white voters? Bernie Sanders, just saying. Uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but I also want to point out that uh, independents, independents are currently in this national poll from NBC News. Uh, again, huge poll, 14,000 uh, uh, respondents. Uh, independents are breaking for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, 44 to 36 percent. You paying attention out there, Democrats? Uh, 44 to 36% Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton when it comes to independence. You know who, do, who else does well with independence, Desi Doyen? Who? Uh, Bernie Sanders. Oh. Turns out he does very well. And what's interesting is NBC News in this article highlighting uh, Hillary Clinton holding this slim lead over Donald Trump did not even mention that, yes, they also polled on how Bernie Sanders does against Donald Trump. But I had to click through to the actual poll, to look at the actual numbers, to actually look at the crosstabs and look at the breakdowns to figure out how uh, Bernie Sanders did against Donald Trump because NBC News did not bother to tell us in their news article about their own poll. Okay, so in that poll, uh, as I mentioned, Hillary Clinton is up three points over Donald Trump nationally, 48 to 45. 
And uh, let's see, how does Bernie Sanders fare against Donald Trump? He is up by 12 points, 53 to 41 over Donald Trump in that same poll. Seems like they ought to note that in their uh, coverage at NBC News, particularly with people still voting uh, on the Democratic side in Kentucky, in Oregon, coming up in, of course, California, New Jersey, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Washington, D.C., Inform the electorate. I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be the job of the uh, of the of the media. I'm pretty sure that's why we get special dis- dispensation in the U.S. Constitution that no other industry gets. But the NBC uh, uh, folks apparently don't think that's all that important. Also, by the way, looking at the favorable unfavorables in these same cross tabs. Um, Hillary Clinton is deeply, deeply underwater. She is deeply unpopular amongst the national electorate. Uh, those uh, regarding her as a favorable or some strongly favorable or somewhat favorable, 40 percent. Those finding her unfavorable, either somewhat or strongly, 59 percent. So right now that's a 19 point gap. 19 percent uh, uh, see her more unfavorably than favorable. That should be a concern, I would think. Uh, on the other hand, Donald Trump is even more unpopular than uh, Hillary Clinton uh, in that regard. His uh, favorable unfavorables here, he, he, even deeper underwater. She's uh, underwater by 19 percent. He's underwater by 25 percent. But you know who's popular uh, with the American people, as it turns out? I wonder who. Uh, It turns out Bernie Sanders is actually (laughs) very popular, according to these numbers, this survey of 14,000 voters. Uh, His uh, favorable rating, either strongly or somewhat favorable, um, is 56%. He's the only one amongst the three to have a majority uh, of of voters uh, view him as favorable, either strongly or somewhat. Uh, 43% view him unfavorable, somewhat or strongly. But overall, uh, among the electorate, uh, 13 points, uh, 13% more see him uh, 56 uh, to 43 favorable over unfavorable. All of that as voters continue to have the temerity to head out to the polls or lick the envelopes and send in that ballot and vote. So we continue to inform The corporate media continues to do whatever the hell it is that they do. And one of the things they don't do is let you know what's actually going on in your own country, whether it comes to elections or whether it comes to the environment and protests around the world and around the country. And yet another success for those protesters, which we'll talk about right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses 
are running on because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Stop drilling for oil, stop mining for coal, stop polluting our air and our water and our riverways. Uh, That is the message the protesters have been trying to send around the country over the weekend and across the world over the past couple of weeks. And they're apparently being successful. You wouldn't know it if you all you did was watch the corporate media, but they're actually being successful out there in these fights, in these protests. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, Last fall, President Obama rejected a crucial cross-border permit for the controversial proposed Keystone XL pipeline from Canada. You all know about that. We covered it extensively here in that fight uh, against that pipeline for years here on the Bradcast and on our Green News Report. Uh, That rejection came after a massive public opposition campaign. Last month, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo rejected a permit for a controversial proposed natural gas pipeline across New York State after strong local opposition. Meanwhile, in the Pacific Northwest, the coal industry had proposed building six new coal export terminals to ship American coal to China. Five out of six of those proposed coal export facilities have now been systematically blocked thanks to sustained opposition by local residents who would bear the brunt of the air and water pollution created by those new facilities. The latest proposed coal export terminal to be blocked was proposed for Cherry Point in Washington, and it has just been denied a crucial permit from the Army Corps of Engineers after sustained pressure from residents, including the people of the Lumi Nation, which asked the Army Corps to reject the project because it would be in violation of U.S. treaty obligations for tribal lands and waters. The project was the largest coal port ever proposed in North America, if I understand this correctly. Writing at the Sierra Club website last week, Mary Ann Hitt writes, This is big for our climate, for clean air and water, for our future. So what the hell is going on here? Is grassroots democracy and people raising their voices to work together at the local level somehow working to accomplish progressive change at the local, state, national, and even international level? Couldn't be. Joining us now to talk about this is Mary Ann Hitt. Uh, She is the director of the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, a national campaign with the goal of ending the use of coal in the United States. Oh, that's not a big goal at all. And replacing it with clean energy by mobilizing local grassroots activists to advocate for the retirement of old and outdated coal plants and to prevent new coal plants from being built. Mary Ann Hitt, welcome to the broadcast. 
Thank you for having me. I, I will answer your question. Yes, grassroots activism is working and accomplishing <laughs> amazing things. So it's a pleasure to be with you to talk about all that. And I'm glad to talk about it because I know there's a lot of people out there who are frustrated, you know, when, when uh, they make their voices heard and when uh, pub- public officials don't immediately act. But the, it takes a while. Uh, before we get to the specifics on that, I, I just want to talk about the specifics of this uh, Cherry Point facility. Why is this... Uh, particular news about yet another coal export terminal. Why is it such a, a big and historic news as you described it in your piece last week at the Sierra Club? Well, it is a big deal for three reasons. First and foremost, it's a big deal that the U.S. government denied this permit. The U.S. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers denied this permit primarily due to our treaty obligations to the Lummi Nation. And I'm sure you and your listeners all know here in the U.S., we we have a, a pretty poor record of upholding our treaty obligations, and so to see the, the Army Corps deny this permit because it was going to threaten the treaty-protected fishing grounds of the Lummi is, is really gratifying and historic and important. Secondly, this is a big deal because we can talk more about why mm-hmm. and, and the, the numbers, but our reliance on coal here in the U.S. has been dropping dramatically thanks to a lot of grassroots activism. We've got a third of the coal plants in the U.S. already announced to retire, and we're not building any new ones. So shipping our coal, we have the biggest coal reserves in the world, shipping that to Asia was the grand plan of some of these mining companies, Mm -hmm. and they needed to get them out, the coal out through the northwest, and they needed these big new coal export terminals to make that happen, and the biggest one was just Decline, so that's the second reason it's a big deal. And the third reason it's a big deal is, is what you talked about at the top of the show. It's, it's demonstrating the power of advocacy. In addition to the Lummi Nation, we had hundreds of thousands of people across the Northwest speak out against these export terminals, and the voices of the people were heard. And so it's a victory for our climate, it's a victory for our treaty obligations, and it's a victory for democracy. Why did the uh, Lummi tribe and the Sierra Club, along with them, obviously, uh, object to this particular project? What were the what were the particulars of this situation? What were the the concerns about this project at uh, at Cherry Point? And by the way, uh, Cherry Point is, I guess, the uh, the the white people's name for this. Uh, what's the uh, there's Juichi. I'm not even going to. Can you say the? Uh, the I, I would the not uh, butcher the, the pronunciation <laughs> myself, so I'll stick with Cherry Point. Okay. Uh, but some All of right. some of the big the big <laughs> concerns. One were that it was it was again proposed smack dab in the treaty protected fishing grounds of the Lummi Nation, and obviously losing losing the habitat for their fisheries would be a blow to the economy, the identity, the culture, the the, the whole nation. And, uh, and is that loss, Marianne, is that loss yeah. uh, of the fisheries, is that just because of the physical, uh, the, the number of ships coming in and out and the, the port facilities that are built? Is that uh, the, the concern? It's exactly. not a, a coal concern. The reason concern. that they wanted yeah. to build this huge terminal there was because it has the right kind of conditions of mm-hmm. deep water and and enough access for these big barges. And so you'd be bringing in train loads of the most dirty uh, fossil fuel, one of the dirtiest things on the planet, that would create a lot of dust. Mm. There's a lot of mercury, lead, and arsenic in this coal that would be blowing around from the trains off of the facility. So you have the footprint of the facility itself, and then you have probably decades worth of coal trains coming in, blowing coal dust all over the area. So mm. it would have really been environmentally uh, pretty devastating for that fishery. Mm. 
Okay, well, now what do you say uh, to those people? And I know you're you're practiced in responding to this argument. Uh, jobs, uh, you know, a shiny new coal export facility. It's going to bring construction jobs uh, to Washington State. It's going to help the folks in Wyoming and the other struggling coal states. If you look at the the struggling and, and even devastated folks from mining communities who voted last week in West Virginia. Uh, it's going to bring them jobs to sell their coal to China. You know, they need China needs energy. They might otherwise drill for more coal on their own rather than uh, pumping money into our American economy. So how does stopping, uh, you know, sending that coal to China actually help the U.S. economy? Well, I live in West Virginia, and mm -hmm. so I certainly oh, okay. understand the concerns that people have about the decline of coal and what the economic consequences are. I will say that um, for this particular project, uh, from the Powder River Basin out in Montana, Wyoming, where the coal was going to be mined, mm -hmm. all along the rail lines, all the way to the port, there were people concerned about the the public health impacts, the economic impacts of a big new pollution source rolling through their communities, and, um, and the real source of job growth in this country right now is clean energy. Wind and solar jobs are one of the biggest new sources of employment in this country, and I think places that are counting on coal for future economic prosperity uh, are really looking to the past, and if you want to look to where the jobs are, you want to look to wind, you want to look to solar, you want to look to renewable energy, and sure, uh, it might have created some temporary economic opportunities for folks, but there would have been a big price to pay for the Lummi, for folks along the rail line, for folks in the Powder River Basin where the coal was mined. And the real uh, the real action these days for, for new jobs and new economic development is in renewable energy. Uh, a, a new Quinnipiac poll, uh, we're speaking with Marianne Hitt of the Sierra Club, uh, of their Beyond Coal campaign. A new Quinnipiac poll uh, shows Hillary Clinton in some trouble in both Ohio and Pennsylvania against Donald Trump if she is the nominee due to her uh, out-of-context comments uh, that were, were taken about you know, putting miners and coal companies out of business. They played that over and over again uh, before the West Virginia primary, uh, even though she's proposed some $30 billion to put coal communities back to work in renewables. But uh, should... Should folks, should politicians take that blowback that we saw Clinton receive last week in West Virginia, uh, should they take that as a concern or a warning, particularly in swing, you know, coal states like Ohio and Pennsylvania, where that Quinnipiac poll showed that Clinton is now in a dead heat with Donald Trump? Should they be worried? And if so, does that suggest a downside to taking on coal directly politically, Marianne? Well, the coal industry has certainly uh, made certain that anybody who takes them on politically is going to pay a price. And so this is, this is nothing new. I will say that America is moving away from coal. Again, we're not building any new coal plants. We have a third of the plants in the U.S. announced to retire and more on the way thanks to grassroots advocacy and the rise of clean energy. And so in my view as a West Virginian, what we need to be doing to honor the sacrifice that the region and the miners have made to power this country for a century. The way to honor that sacrifice is not to make empty promises and to lie to people and promise some return of the glory days of this industry. The way to honor that sacrifice is 
to make a transition plan for the future that takes care of the workers, their pensions, their health care, reclaiming the land, diversifying the economy. That, to me, is the way to honor the sacrifice that, that Appalachia has made and the people of Appalachia have made to power this country for a, a century. You're echoing uh, something that uh, we've heard from our friend Bob Kincaid, since you're from West Virginia. I suspect you may know Bob out there. Uh, he has uh, he's a great uh, anti coal anti mountaintop removal champion uh, from West Virginia ninth generation West Virginian he recently told me uh, he he charges and you wrote about this in in your piece about the uh, the bankruptcies that have been declared by uh, Peabody Coal uh, I don't have the list in for Arch Coal I think uh, one after another uh, seem to be declaring bankruptcy uh, that sounds like good news on the surface but he charges that what they're really doing is restructuring to avoid pensions and benefits for miners so they can come back leaner and meaner with smaller operations because the industry no longer needs so many miners. They just simply blow off the tops of mountains to get at that coal, which is a much much less labor-intensive process. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Marianne? Well, uh, uh, my so my daughter is an 11th generation West Virginian through my husband's side of the family. So, um, so like Bob, uh, mm-hmm. we are we are in in Appalachia and in West Virginia. We are well aware of the different different uh, sort of corporate veils these companies can put on to kind of come back and under uh, um, uh, a different guise to do a lot of the same damage. And so when you see the bankruptcy of companies like Arch and Alpha and Peabody, um, you just saw, I believe it was Arch Coal very recently, uh, trying it's trying to get out of its collective bargaining agreement with the union mm-hmm. as part of its bankruptcy proceeding. Actually, I think it's Alpha. And so, you know, the bottom line is that these companies declare bankruptcy. The, the danger is that they leave the workers and the, the land behind, and then they come back in some leaner and meaner form uh, to take another bite at the apple. And so we are fighting very hard to try to stop that from happening. There are some things that can be done. One is that the Office of Surface Mining could uh, issue some guidance that says if a coal company goes into bankruptcy, once they come out, they can't underwrite their promises to reclaim the land with their own stock value. It's a practice called self-bonding that mm-hmm. a lot of these companies have been doing. They say, oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll reclaim this. We'll just underwrite it with the value of our company. And oops, we went bankrupt. Sorry, we can't do that anymore. So we want to put an end to that practice is one concrete step we can take. But the reality is uh, Appalachia is really kind of at a precipice right now, both the workers, the communities, and the these mine sites. Mm-hmm. And we need to fight very hard for, again, for a, a just transition that, that takes care of worker health care and pensions and also provides the resources to diversify the economy and reclaim the land. Uh, the Obama administration has come under a lot of uh, uh, criticism over its past, what, seven or eight years now uh, for w- what the industry claims to be a war on coal and what the uh, right-wingers who seem to go along with that industry claim as a war on coal. But uh, it doesn't seem to me that there really is a war on coal. Has the Obama administration done enough, in your opinion, Marianne Hitt, uh, and in the opinion, I guess, of the Sierra Club, uh, to to not only take on the industry, but to let the, uh, the American people understand the impacts, the very real impacts, health, economic, and everything else, of, uh, of coal as you see it? Well, the coal industry, I think most Americans would actually be shocked at the loopholes in our clean air and clean water protections that they enjoy. So up until President Obama came into office, there were no federal standards in place whatsoever for 
mercury pollution from coal plants into our air, toxic water pollution from coal plants, the disposal of coal ash, carbon pollution from coal plants, coal companies got to blow up mountains. I mean, I could go on, but Mm -hmm. there were these huge loopholes that the industry had secured for itself thanks to its political clout. And the Obama administration has taken some steps to either close or shrink some of those loopholes for mercury and carbon and coal ash. Um, But in our view, there is a lot more work to do. We still uh, have mountaintop removal happening in Appalachia, which is a a great heartbreak for me as a a person uh, from Appalachia and something that that we still need to put an end to. Um, we the, the disposal standards for coal ash are are far cry from what they need to be. So the Obama administration has shrunk or closed some of those loopholes, but not all of them and not enough, and there is still plenty more work to do. And there's still plenty more coal in this country. You know, we have a third of the coal plants announced to retire. That means two-thirds of them are still chugging along. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't have scrubbers and modern pollution control, so kids living near them are having asthma attacks and suffering needlessly. And so so we have made progress, but there's still a lot of work to do. You know, one of the reasons I ask uh, about that specifically is because I think a lot of people think that, uh, well, you know, the, the, the public officials, they'll take care of it. Oh, Obama, he's a, he's a Democrat. I like him. He'll take care of it. Hillary Clinton, if she gets the nomination and if she wins, she'll take care of this. Uh, you know, one of the things I didn't mention in my intro to this piece, uh, Marianne, was was the efforts uh, also to block drilling of the Arctic by uh, folks up in Seattle last year, the Kayaktivists and Greenpeace, and I'm, I'm guessing the Sierra Club. Uh, that also seems to have paid off with the Obama administration at least sort of denying further permits uh, uh, to drill in the Arctic, even while allowing the possibility for such drilling in the future. But a lot of people feel like their voices are not being heard, that protests, etc., when when they aren't immediately successful, that it suggests that the voice of democracy is is unable to over, overcome the the voices, and I say quote-unquote voices, it's really the moneyed, powerful interests of these big corporations. What's your thought on that? I know you've been leading the uh, Beyond Coal campaign, working with these uh, local activists all over the country. Uh, how do you respond to that sort of thinking that, you know, people give up, uh, they turn away, and, and how can people actually use that to energize uh, their cause, even if they don't win at first? The struggle up in Washington, Cherry Point, I think is a five-year struggle so far, right? Indeed. I, you know, I think the worst thing you can do for the climate is not drive a car or use a disposable shopping bag or eat meat or whatever. I think the worst thing you can do for the climate is give up on the power of grassroots advocacy, because I have seen it again and again. I have seen these David and Goliath campaigns mm-hmm. where David has won, and the Cherry Point Export Terminal is a perfect example. I mean, the company that is pushing for that project has very deep pockets, they have been pushing for every time you turn around in the region. There they are with, uh, you know, with advocacy, with, with folks in their sort of matching shirts that are reassuring you that they've got nice pictures and everything's going to be fine. And yet somehow the Lummi Nation and all of these tens of thousands of advocates, they came together and they won. And I, I mentioned 232 coal plants in this country are announced to retire uh, grassroots advocacy was the deciding factor in many, many, many of those places that pushed those decisions into retiring those coal plants. And it was just regular people taking on a very powerful, deep-pocketed entity in their community 
and winning. And when you win those kind of campaigns, you don't just change the electrical power, but you change the political power. And people have an experience of their own agency. They actually can change the world for the better in their community. And people like Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, those those political leaders are sort of, it's, it's our job as advocates to clear the road with which we did with Keystone, which we have done with coal, which mm-hmm. we have uh, increasingly, I think, been doing with gas. It is our job to change what's politically possible so that they can do more than they were willing to before. I mean, Obama came a long way on coal during his time in office. And, um, and I think similarly on Keystone, I think he came a long way, and it was because of advocacy. Advocacy was the deciding factor. And if anybody doubts the power of that advocacy, just just turn around and look at what we've accomplished for the last eight years and imagine what we can accomplish in the next eight. Changing what is politically possible. Marianne Hitt, director of Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign. Uh, I meant to get your your uh, your Twitter uh, handle here before we went on air, but I failed to do that. So let me allow you the chance to uh, give us your Twitter handle and, and where people can uh, get more information and join this effort in their local community uh, for Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign. Yes, I am at Marianne Hitt, M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E. H-I-T-T, and our website is beyondcoal.org. And I will say wherever you live, uh, there is an opportunity to either uh, p- perhaps retire a coal plant, bring in a clean energy project. We have a Ready for 100 campaign where we're getting cities to, to commit to uh, 100% clean energy in their communities. So wherever you are, there's an opportunity to move the needle towards clean energy, and we'd love to have you involved. Mary Ann Hitt, M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E. H-I-T-T on the Twitters and uh, beyondcoal.org, you said? That's it. Beyondcoal.org. Marianne, uh, thank you. Uh, Greatly appreciate it. Appreciate you joining us. Appreciate your efforts and uh, look forward to talking to you again in in the future. Keep up the good work. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast. Why don't Americans ever get to hear about this stuff, uh, unless you listen to our show? Uh, Well, Bernie Sanders had something to say about that to Rachel Maddow on right on MSNBC right there in the in the corporate media recently. I've been trying to get to this for a while. We will play that and uh, and a few more items. We'll find out what they are straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Yeah, you know, is it that hard? Was that that hard? Was it that hard? (laughs) 
to just, uh, you know, find out what the American people actually want, what the American people are actually fighting for, what they care about, what they're accomplishing. Is it that hard? Apparently so. Apparently so, uh, because the uh, corporate media just does not do it. It's it's amazing. They are so obsessed with the horse race stuff, the horse race coverage nonstop, months after months after month. Yes, we talked about some polls at the top of this uh, at the top of this program. But we talked about it in relation to why that might matter to Democratic voters who are still going out and voting. There is a place for that information, but that's all they seem to talk about when it comes to politics and policy in our corporate media. Bernie Sanders sat down with Rachel Maddow uh, a week or two ago, and I've been trying to get to this for a while because it was uh, remarkable. I remember when uh, Bernie was on with our friends uh, over at the Young Turks with uh, Cenk Uger, and he came out and he sort of blasted Comcast and their ownership of MSNBC and discussed why certain things aren't uh, discussed in the corporate media. And then... Uh, he was on Rachel Maddow, and I was kind of shocked, but uh, he brought up the very same issues. I think the American people are sick and tired of establishment politics and economics, and by the way, a little bit tired of corporate media as well. They want real changes in this country, and I think as President of the United States, we can ignite those changes. What's the solution to corporate media? Uh, I think we have got to uh, think about uh, ways that uh, the Democratic Party, for a start, starts funding the equivalent of Fox television. Mm. Um, number two, uh, I think the pressure has got to be put on media to say that, you know what, maybe as a nation, the American people are entitled to hear real discussions on real issues. You tell me, you're in the media, what percentage of media discussion in this campaign is about process? Who's going to win in West Virginia? How many delegates does Hillary Clinton have? What dumb thing did Donald Trump say yesterday rather than why are we the only country in the industrialized world not to guarantee health care to all people? How much discussion have you heard on TV about the fact that the top one-tenth of one percent now owns almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent? That's the kind of discussion we need, and the American people need to be engaged in that. So we have got the demand of corporate media, and that's going to be hard because this is against their own best interest. NBC is owned by who? Uh, Comcast, our overlords. All right, yeah. Comcast <laughs> is not one of the most popular corporations in America, right? Mm -hmm. All right, etc., etc. And I think the American people are going to have to say to NBC and ABC and CBS and CNN, you know what? Forget the political gossip. Politics is not a soap opera. Talk about the real damn issues facing this country. I was in McDowell County, Virginia, uh, West Virginia, yesterday. People's life, male life expectancy there is 18 years less than it is in Fairfax, Virginia. 18 years. People's male life expectancy is the equivalent of Guatemala. Do you think this should be happening in America? I don't think so. But we don't discuss those issues. So I would hope that the corporate media understands they have a responsibility to our democracy to allow serious discussion on serious issues, not look at politics just as a horse race. That was Bernie Sanders with Rachel Maddow about a week or so ago. And, uh, yeah, Bernie Sanders, you would hope, you would hope that, uh, but keep hoping. Because apparently that is not what is happening in our country. And uh, we continue to uh, do little more than follow the horse race in much of the media. Now, by the way, on a couple of points that uh, uh, Sanders made there, he said uh, that the Democrats need to look at a, a Democratic version of Fox News. Uh, hey, Bernie, no thanks. Not interested. 
do not need more Democratic Party propaganda the way Fox News presents Republican Party propaganda. But holding these uh, these corporate entities, holding their feet to the fire, holding their feet to the fire, uh, putting pressure on media, as Bernie Sanders says, uh, yeah, that needs to continue. And he talked about, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of for universal health care. Well, we talked about yesterday on this program that there are essentially three uh, different versions of uh, three different visions, if you will, for health care uh, with the three different candidates who are still in the presidential race, Bernie's and Hillary's and Donald Trump's. And uh, we had a poll yesterday showing that Bernie's vision for universal health care was by far the most popular of the three. He would like to replace Obamacare with a, a universal health care for all. Hillary Clinton would essentially like to keep uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, in place as is and improve it uh, where possible around the margins. Donald Trump, of course, wants to scrap it entirely. Well, of those three, Bernie Sanders, his plan is the most popular. You would have no idea that that was the case if all you did was watch corporate media or read corporate media. And that is, of course, what most people do. That ill serves this nation, I would argue. And that goes above and beyond whoever ends up uh, winning this Democratic primary, whoever ends up winning this presidential race. The corporate media is ill-serving the American people, and they are not uh, fulfilling their obligation uh, to educate we the people, to educate the electorate. Anyway, I just wanted to get that in because I was happy to see uh, that happen. I was happy to see Bernie Sanders uh, call out the corporate media right within the corporate media, call out MSNBC and Comcast right while he was on uh, Comcast-owned MSNBC. Well, also, let's be honest, this has been a trend that has uh, blossomed over the last two decades, even earlier than that. But I'm just remembering, remember the Iraq War protests in 2003 that filled the streets of the United States? As no, people I don't. Tried? No, Well, if you I watched don't. the corporate media, you'd you have would no know. idea. Yeah. You know, and also the fact that that people don't know about climate science. They don't know about the consensus. You know, the 97 percent of climate scientists say climate change is real. It's happening now. It's dangerous. It's man-made. There are polls that show that the American people, maybe 10, 12, 13 percent, are aware of that statistic. I mean, that's ridiculous. And no, listen, nothing earth shattering here. Uh, the MSM sucks. The lamestream media True. sucks. Uh, you know, so n no news flash here. But I think it's important to keep repeating it, frankly, over and over again and, and underscore where they fail, where they have failed the American people. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the fight over uh, over the environment and over, uh, uh, you know, coal plants and the dangers of coal and the successes, frankly, of renewable energy. We talked about it yesterday that there was a point over the weekend when Germany, the entire country, the entire nation of Germany uh, was using 100 percent of renewable energy. They generated 100 percent of their electricity right. demand from renewable energy. Exactly. But you wouldn't know that no. if you watched American television no, or you would, read anything in America. You would hear only that uh, solar and wind is not yet ready for prime time. It's still a boutique energy. It's improving. People like it, but uh, it's not ready. We still need coal. We still need oil. We still need natural gas. All of which are not true, that we can actually do it today. In fact, 
fact, I'm sure that there were no there was no reporting on the NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration study that came out just a few weeks ago that said we could get to 100 percent low or zero carbon electricity in the next 15 years. And little reporting that uh, April 2016 was the hottest April ever recorded on planet Earth. Oh, yeah, there's that, too. Yeah. Uh, All right, very quickly before we go, Amy Toms was washing her hands in the woman's bathroom at Walmart in Danbury, Connecticut, last Friday when a stranger approached her and said, you're disgusting and you don't belong here. After momentary confusion, she realized that the woman next to her thought, because of her pixie-style haircut and baseball cap, that she was transgender. This is what's going on in this country now. Toms believes the incident happened because of the national controversy sparked by a law passed in North Carolina attempting to force transgender uh, people to use the bathroom of the gender they were identified as at birth. According to AP, since then, the religious conservatives have launched a boycott of Walmart competitor Target, which has said transgender people are welcome to use its bathrooms freely. So boycott them. Nationally, Walmart hasn't uh, issued a statement. Uh, They've been silent on this issue. Tom's is a 22-year-old from Naugatuck. She works at a retail store in Bethel Danbury. uh, Connecticut. Right, around Walmart. Uh, She posted a video rant, and maybe later this week we'll play that rant because it was fantastic. Yes. And if I can get time to play it in full this week, uh, maybe we will. Uh, But she posted this on her Facebook uh, page on Friday. It's been viewed uh, more than 12,000 times as of Sunday night. Uh, She says, after experiencing the discrimination that uh, transgender folks face firsthand, I cannot fathom the discrimination that people like that must face in a lifetime. She said, can you imagine going out every day and having people tell you uh, you should not be who you are or that people will not accept you as who you are? She said, I think this is all just a response. Uh, No one was telling these people to be scared of transgender people before. No one was telling them that they should be throwing people out of bathrooms, she says on her video, as if it wasn't scary enough for transgender people to use the bathroom before. It's a great video. We don't have time. We'll try to play it in full if we can later this week. But there is a uh, a twist here, a punchline, if you will. Uh, she has so she's got a short haircut, like a pixie haircut. Uh, it's not particularly masculine, as she notes uh, in her video. She does not look maybe from the back, but not from the front. She does not look particularly <laughs> masculine. Um, but she noted why she has uh, a short haircut right now, uh, besides uh, being a pretty normal choice of style for women. Tom says she has a short haircut because she recently donated hair for the third time to a program that makes wigs for children with cancer. So we don't know who that woman was uh, who attacked her in some fashion in that uh, Walmart store. Uh, And I can't really say on FCC radio what I think of that woman who did that. But... uh, But there you go. Another American hero uh, who you don't often hear about, I guess, on the corporate media. But you have now heard about her on the broadcast. Maybe we'll hear more from her later this week. My thanks to my producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to Mary Ann Hitt of Sierra Club's BeyondCoal.org. And, of course, my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is truly greatly appreciated. 
Uh, we also appreciate those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us uh, stay on the air and continue doing what it is we do here. If you missed any portion of the program, you can download it as ever for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review, make it easier for everyone else in the world to find the Bradcast as well. Email. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. Use hashtag Bradcast. All right, that's it. Uh, until we meet again, Kentucky and Oregon results tomorrow. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.